Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast. I'm Olivia Lynch, and I'm joined by my co-host, Christian Curran. A few months ago, we discussed things to watch out for in connection with COVID-related procurements, such as sole source actions and stay overrides. A recent COFC decision in Comprehensive Health Services LLC addresses both of these features, and we are going to discuss the particulars of that recent stay override case. But first, we're joined by a special guest, Eric Ransom. He's a former GAO attorney who joined Kroll in 2019, and he's going to set the table with a primer on the requirements for sole source awards. Thanks, Olivia. The government buys most supplies and services under the procedures in the Competition and Contracting Act as implemented in the Federal Acquisition Regulation. And these procedures emphasize filling the government's needs through full and open competition with offers accepted from any capable source. But of course, there are exceptions to that rule, and they're described in FAR subpart 6.3, which permit the government to negotiate and award a contract directly to a specific company in certain circumstances. And the two most common exceptions that we see are that there's only one responsible source available, or that there's unusual and compelling urgency that would preclude competition because the delay in making the award would result in some injury to the government. Now, generally under these exceptions, the agency is required to execute a justification approval document, and the agency would also normally be required to publish a notice of the proposed sole source in advance, permit companies to respond, and then if it were going to proceed with the sole source, the agency would be required to post notice and justification within 14 days. Now, when companies want to file a protest of a sole source, the company is generally going to have to have responded to the initial notice and then protested within 10 days of the subsequent notice of the award. But there are other exceptions surrounding unusual and compelling urgency that short circuit the process. So for an urgent award, for instance, there are exceptions to the notice requirements. The justification and approval is not even required to be completed at the time of the award and the justification isn't required to be posted until up to 30 days afterwards. So under these circumstances, a company can still protest within 10 days of learning of the award. But in the case of an urgent order for something like COVID-19 equipment, PPE, rapid tests, those supplies are likely to have already been delivered. And so there's not really meaningful relief if the protest is filed. Some of these issues are also made worse in cases of things like commercial items because there are additional streamlined procedures that may result in no notice being published at all. Now, in the comprehensive health services case that we're talking about today, there was an initial full and open competition. The offers were aware that the sole source was subsequently issued, and so they were able to file a protest right away. But the protester then ran into another challenge in that the agency overrode the stay of contract performance that comes with the bid protest, meaning, again, it was likely that the services or supplies would have been provided and there wasn't likely to be meaningful relief in the protest. So for some further description of the Comprehensive Health Services case, I'll turn it back to Christian. Thanks, Eric. That's a great tee up for the case. And as Eric mentioned, so this case came to the Court of Federal Claims in the posture of a stay override, and CHS challenged FEMA's decision to override the stay in this case on CHS's GAO protest that was timely filed on this procurement for rapid antigen tests for COVID-19. So the requirement was initially competed as full and open. It was actually awarded to another offeror after a very limited open window for RFP responses. And that is initially what CHS took issue with. CHS filed its first GAO protest challenging 
the window for RFP responses at GAO. And in response to that, the agency pledged to take corrective action and allow more time for a response. So GAO dismissed that protest, but then as the court noted, FEMA reneged. FEMA informed CHS that it wasn't going to reissue and allow more time, that it was going to sole source the tests. And they provided a JNA specifying why they were going to do it. I mean, basically you're in the middle of pandemic and they need the tests right away. And so with that, CHS filed another protest at GAO, arguing among other things that this is FEMA's own fault because of lack of advanced planning. And FEMA then overrode the stay, arguing that the emergency situation created by the pandemic created a circumstance where they just couldn't wait for the GAO protest to be adjudicated. The CHS then filed a challenge to the Court of Federal Claims challenging the stay override. And not surprisingly, the court here found that FEMA's actions were reasonable and that CHS's arguments just had no merit. So the court used the standards in the Riley's wholesale case to walk through the analysis of the stay override challenge, those factors being whether significant adverse consequences would necessarily occur if the stay is not overridden, conversely, whether reasonable alternatives to the override exist, how the potential cost of proceeding with the override compared to the benefits associated with the approach considered for addressing the agency's needs and the impact of the stay override on the integrity of the procurement system. And in this case, the court found that the FEMA kind of runs the table on the factors that given the circumstances with COVID and the national emergency, there was nothing wrong with them overriding the stay in this case. So practically, this case is a good example of a situation where it's really going to be extremely difficult for a contractor to succeed in a challenge to a stay override in a true emergency situation. So Christian, that's a great point. And I was actually pretty surprised to see this decision when it first came out, because this seems to be the exact kind of situation where the court would not reverse a stay override. It's not like a IT services contract where you have agencies that go out on a limb and try to say there's justification to move forward with the provision of IT services and you can't wait for a GAO protest. This really seemed to be almost life and death in trying to get tests out related to the pandemic. And so, Eric, do you have any thoughts on potentially what factors drove the protester to the court here? Yes, I think it is a little unexpected to see a protester go to the court on an override like this. But there are a couple of factors that probably weighed in in favor of trying to challenge the override. One is the fact that this had gone out on the street initially and FEMA had solicited offers, which suggests that they could have done that on a pretty rapid basis. And so I think that's where you get into the arguments about lack of advanced planning or that this was some kind of end run around a competition that they could have held on a really rapid basis. And so there may have been some appeal to those arguments on the merits that may have weighed in favor of, of trying to challenge the override. The other thing is, again, this is a situation where if they don't get the stay, then the contract is going to be performed by the time that they get any decision from GAO. And so there won't actually be relief available. So I think because without the stay, the GAO protest probably doesn't have a lot of appeal. That probably weighs in favor of challenging the override. Thanks, Eric. One other thing I wanted to ask you about while we have you here is 
Can you explain to our audience kind of the mechanics of the stay override? I mean, what happens at GAO when this comes in? And how does that process work? Sure. It's surprising to a lot of people, but the answer at GAO is nothing. There is nothing that happens at GAO when an agency decides to override the stay. Under SICA, the stay is automatic and it applies to the agency. And it's triggered by GAO making the agency aware that a protest has been filed. But after that, GAO considers it a matter between the language of SICA and the agency's responsibility to fulfill that. But because it doesn't go to the award of a contract or the procurement itself, GAO doesn't have any involvement in administering that process. And that's why when you do have a stay override, the protesters, to the extent they want to challenge that, have to take it up for an injunction with COFSI. Got it. So, I mean, essentially what we're talking about here is two parallel litigation tracks that are going to move simultaneously. And I think that's certainly something for folks that are considering trying to override a state to consider is that this isn't going to buy you more time at GAO or somehow allow you to leverage the stay override action, of course, for something else. So it's just another data point to consider when you're making those decisions, I guess. That's exactly right. The process of GAO continues. GAO will be aware that there's been an override and that there may be litigation on that matter at COFSI, but that type of litigation at COFSI doesn't disrupt the protest process. Thanks again, Eric. That was a great conversation. And to our listeners, thanks again for listening. We hope you have a safe and happy holiday, and we look forward to bringing you more exciting protest content in 2021. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.